Hello from sunny Austin, Texas, and welcome to the Healthcare Soothsayer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bonnie Clipper, and yes, I'm a nurse. I have worked for more than 30 years as a nurse, chief nurse executive, innovation strategist, and speaker. I have taken the message of Nursing Innovation International and look forward to continuing this message to transform health. This podcast will bring you thought leaders and ideas that you may not have otherwise heard from. Enjoy the show. Our guest today is Dr. Sarah Abel, Director of Educational Resources, Global and Marketplace at Sigma Nursing. Sarah, welcome to Healthcare Soothsayers. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for having me today. And I'm excited to be talking with you. You do such crazy cool things. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. So at Sigma, I'm as the director of global, um, I am over the United Nations uh, relationship that we have, as well as our liaisons and our representatives that help us coordinate our activities at that level. For education, we're constantly looking at what are the needs of our members and the nursing community at large. And then for Marketplace, we're certainly looking at um, how we can best deliver that and make us a, a sustainable organization to continue to deliver those resources to nurses across the world. And over the last several years, Sigma has really become a force to reckon with in the nursing community. So kudos to you. Thank you. We've been working really hard to ensure that people know the Sigma name and know that we're all about equipping and empowering the nursing community for years to come. We've been around for a hundred years now, so it's a pretty exciting venture to continue that legacy. It's very cool. And I know you've been doing some great work with nurses at all levels, from the state level, the national level, and even at the international level. Can you tell us what you're hearing from all those key stakeholders and what what's different and maybe what's the same? It's been a very interesting opportunity to be in the seat that I am in throughout this pandemic. Uh, I have an opportunity to meet with our global regions and to meet with different people on a monthly basis from around the world. During each of those calls, we're always talking about, you know, what's the landscape, what's happening at those different levels. At the local level, we've seen here, you know, within the United States, we've seen this, you know, shift um, towards the vaccines and that variability in the vaccine rollout process amongst our states has been really impactful to everyone here in the U.S., but the organizations as a whole are going to be undergoing a massive shift and and are reprioritizing a lot of things right now. Although we've had a big shift in um, the payment and, and what, you know, nurses are going to be able to sustain in that market, we have a lack of trust with our organizations. Many nurses are moving out of that loyalty to one organization, which we already kind of had some of that, and now it's just more profound. But that lack of trust with with an organization is causing more nurses to get on the road, to travel, to uh, enroll in an agency-based uh, model rather than uh, commitment to one single organization for any one length of time. We have a high, we'll continue to see a higher rate of turnover. 
Um, and that's unfortunate since we need that uh, expertise in each of our organizations across the U.S. We also have an increase in mental health needs with for both providers as well as our communities. The, there's been a 41% increase in the investment in mental health, and yet we're still not meeting the needs. We've also seen this increase in um, telehealth in the last year. We've had a significant amount of growth in that area that's been really propelled by COVID, which is an exciting half, you know, glass half full kind of uh, vantage point. But unfortunately, I think that we still have a long way to go with telehealth. We have a lot of opportunity with that. A lot of that has to do with the payer market for that. You know, it's really driven by uh, the insurance companies and, you know, physicians needing to be able to get maximum payment um, are still wanting to see people in person as well. And we, I think we need to make more of a, a push for that telehealth. We've also seen an increase in desire for telecommuting, and that means a lot of different things. It does contribute, I believe, to the mental health of the nursing profession as well as to the, the community as a whole. And that, you know, that desire to work from home and uh, or from wherever has continued to increase uh, and has added to the desire to increase degree completion for nurses. So we've actually seen an increase in enrollment. The um, AACN has reported that they've seen an increase in enrollment by degree at their annual survey. So PhD was up by 0.9%. DNP is up by 8.9%. Master's is up by 4%. And BSN is up by 5.6%. Those are significant uh, increases, especially since we know that there has been um, this more emphasis on, you know, the risks related to our profession. The increase in enrollment, though, does have its, um, has a downside to it as well, which is that nurses are leaving the bedside. You know, they're looking for what's next. What else can they do to get out of bedside care and um, do something different with their next steps and their degrees? We've created this type of paradox within nursing that we want the, the advanced degrees, but we are really hurting for caregivers at the bedside because um, many times those with advanced degrees move on. Now, we, we do have some degree of, of nurses with advanced degrees that do remain at the bedside, but a majority of them do end up leaving. So we also have seen this um, that's kind of at the national level, you know, that what we're seeing across the country. But again, in my position as global uh, initiatives director for Sigma, I have this unique opportunity to really take the pulse of, of the globe and what's really happening on the front lines without the lens of media um, putting that putting that on for me. So on the front lines across the world, there's been um, a lot of shifts that are very different than what we um, what the lens is that we see here in the U.S. As far as COVID is concerned, we certainly have seen an increase in global health awareness. And by that, I think we've all seen how small the, the world really is, how interconnected we really are. Business travel um, and um, pleasure, you know, travel has been greatly affected, and that has really affected a lot of economic industry across the 
across the globe. That health awareness, though, um, and realizing how connected we really are puts an emphasis on ensuring that we have, you know, health care for all, you know, and a lot of people are starting to refocus. Maybe we need to look at universal health care again, bring it into a new light or bring it up again um, and start to push forward with some of that because we know that we are certainly affected. Uh, whether you're for that or against that is neither here nor there at this moment, but certainly it's something to consider, you know, based on COVID and what we've seen, we, we and now we have all of these variants with the disease. There, there's certainly a lot going on there that we need to be mindful of that even, you know, the countries that don't have the um, resources maybe that we do here in the United States, they may actually have rolled something out uh, and, have done a better job of containing COVID than we have here in the U.S. We certainly haven't done um, a, a great job of keeping it contained or allocating resources, uh, whether that be PPE or nursing workforce in general. The other topic that I just want to briefly touch on is that here in the U.S. during um, during the pandemic, we had this overlying you know, shift in uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion that has come to the forefront. So as soon as COVID kind of led up, we saw this, you know, big shift with the Black Lives Matter movement and actually several other kind of, you know, health equity and rights kind of movements that were overlying the the pandemic uh, and, the, and the brief reprieve maybe that we had from the pandemic in late summer, uh, early fall. With that, it was really interesting to be able to talk to some of the other global regions and to hear from them about what does that mean from for them? What does diversity, equity, and inclusion mean for these other countries? And it was just absolutely eye-opening to listen to the disparities maybe that they have. DEI as a term isn't necessarily utilized anywhere else in the world, but it it means different things to different people. So in, um, for a, a few examples, perhaps in some regions of the world, the uh, emphasis is on where you have migrated from. If the country that you've migrated from is um, more uh, wealthy or is a poorer country, you may be treated very differently within that country. And I think we do that here in the U.S., and we don't even realize some of that 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 occurs. So, for example, if you're from Mexico and you have migrated and um, you may be treated very differently than someone that was from Europe. And now that I say that out loud, you may be going, oh, wow, that is true. We, we do have a tendency to think differently about those two types of immigrants in even into the U.S., but that happens in other um, global regions as well. Another area, um, you know, that has been brought up is the LGBTQ plus community. And here in the U.S., we've continued to have turmoil around that and, and more human rights type movements. And yet in a lot of other countries, it's we're, we're behind in, here in the U.S., in other countries and in other regions of the world. It's more widely accepted and they um, have already come past so much of that and um, that turmoil and into the acceptance into a different phase uh, of change and, and um, culturally and societally. In addition, the 
some of the other examples, of course, were related to gender and the hierarchies that continue to exist culturally. Uh, for example, in Africa, we heard about how, you know, even though you're a chief nursing officer in um, your hospital or organization and you may be a female, that's great that you are able to achieve a leadership position as a female within that organization. However, if you're in a meeting with all men, you still might not be able to speak on behalf of the nursing profession because you are a female. So culturally, those things have a tendency to kind of come over into the healthcare market. And that could be affecting healthcare and the delivery and the voice of nursing as a profession as a whole across the globe. Wow, you have given us so much to, to think about here. I want to go back a second about you gave us a bright spot, and that is that while um, we're seeing turnover at accelerated rates, the bright spot is that we're seeing nursing school enrollments increase. Mm -hmm. So how do we how do we reconcile that, knowing that there's also faculty shortages and we need to kind of change the way that perhaps we educate nurses? What are your thoughts around kind of connecting those dots and pulling those pieces together a little bit? Absolutely. The faculty shift has been interesting as well. We've certainly seen a need to increase the need for leadership and many um, curriculum right now and, and the increase for competency. Uh, that's been a, definitely a hot topic and a hot word as well. That competency and um, the need to have leaders that are focused on trauma-informed leadership, which I believe is a newer term. You know, we need to focus that within our curriculum in, in order to better prepare the leaders for what they're going to face. We've had this shift, you know, as those nurses are coming up or they're either retiring or they're going on to advanced degrees, that may be opening up positions within organizations for um, new leaders to take on those roles. And we need to ensure that those new leaders are equipped and empowered. And I think associations have a big role to play in that space. Um, they need to collaborate with each other, with organizations, in order to meet the needs of nurses exactly where they are. So that's a, that's a valid point. Great point there. Yeah. And I, I, I like how you highlight the collaboration because I, I think in nursing, not unlike other professions, we operate in silos at virtually every level, right? If you're a staff nurse, Absolutely. you're a med surge nurse or a day shift nurse or a this unit nurse or a that unit nurse. And then if you're a leader, again, same thing, you're this unit or that unit, or maybe you're a manager or a director. So you always have to fit into a group, which of course makes some sense. However, we also see that we continue to silo what those groups do, how they learn, how we can educate them, how we can make them more proficient. And then you migrate that into the academic setting. It's much of the same thing. So when we talk about preparing nurses, we have to choose. Do we prepare them to be a caregiving nurse at the bedside or do we pre prepare them to be something else? Do you ever see a world where we might get better at sort of sharing nurses or allowing them to kind of cross lanes so that maybe we don't feel our shortages as acutely? Absolutely. So there was a recent um, poll that was done by AONL 
related to um, nursing leadership, and it was just completed in February of 2021. And we saw from July of 2020, so in just just a little over eight months here, from July of 2020 to February of 2021, a survey was done of nurse leaders, and these were CNOs, directors, and managers within organizations here in the U.S. Um, we saw an increase in the amount of uh, surge staffing, training, and reallocation interest. So it went from 53% to 65%. We were already having concerns on surge staffing, but a way to, to handle surge staffing is certainly to ensure that people are cross-trained into multiple different areas and to um, ensure that we can you know, f- have that fluctuation and the ability to adapt uh, and change, you know, when we need it, when we need to be. We saw that with the um, furloughs and layoffs, which also increased dirt at the on this survey. And it's interesting that we, we have furloughs and layoffs, and yet we can't fix surge staffing. We have to find a way to retain nurses, to equip them to be um, any kind of nurse that's, that's needed, um, and to utilize them in the best way that we can across the organization because they're moving into the other jobs uh, and into the other departments on their own. So we just need to equip them rather than throwing them into that so they feel supported during that transition rather than forced forced to go and, and do something that they necessarily weren't prepared to do. Well, and you absolutely highlighted what is a little bit of an enigma, right? On the leadership side, it's, as as I'm looking at it again right now, surge staffing, retention, and furloughs were top of mind for leaders to get better at and become more comfortable with. Yet, that is precisely why we are moving away from the loyalty model, mm-hmm. right? Because the employer loyalty model is an old model, and it refers to the fact that if you join an organization as your employer, they will, to some degree, take care of you, right? And that used to mean that you would get your hours and you would have benefits and you would, you know, I'm air quoting this, but you would be cared for. That has continued to change over the last 20 years, and now we're seeing our youngest generation of nurses, our Zers and our young millennials that are saying, I don't really need that model. I can actually find someone to advocate for me and be my agent, and that would be an agency. And I can choose where I want to work, literally the region of the country I want to work. So if I time it well, I can be in the south in the winter and maybe the Midwest or the the north um, in the summer. I can choose the units I want to work on. I can choose the shifts. I can choose the rate of pay. And by the way, contracts nowadays can guarantee that you will have adequate PPE or you can invalidate your contract. So for young people, why would you not go to that model? Exactly. Exactly. Why, why would you not, why would you not is the big question. And I think as associations, organizations, and healthcare across every country is going to have to evaluate their value proposition. What is their value to healthcare providers? Not just what is the value to patients. And here in the U.S., a Gallup poll revealed that we are only 14% uh, satisfied with our healthcare we're not even, you know, if our patients aren't happy and our healthcare providers aren't happy and 
why are we not taking this as this opportunity to catalyze change in a positive direction? And I think that we have the ability to do so. Some organizations have absolutely excelled during COVID. They have come together and and they have done a, a superb job. I have heard several organizations that have just uh, flourished under COVID and their employees are, you know, I'm never leaving, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to stay forever because this organization did take care of me and they are interested in investing in me. But if, if that's not the case, if that's not the direction that organizations are going to choose to go, we are going to continue to see this shift, um, at n- more nurses leaving the bedside, uh, problems with retention and an un, um, you know, an unprepared workforce as we thrust them into situations psychologically and skill-wise that they're not prepared to take on. Well, which is an incredibly important point. So just to change the conversation slightly, what do you see as our biggest concerns in, in nursing and in healthcare over the next couple of years, maybe even three three to five years? Resistance. <laughs> I think that sums it up in one word. If we if we resist the change that is coming at us head on, if we continue to uh, dig our heels in and and want to hang on to the old healthcare model, we are going to drown. We have to be able to propel ourselves forward in technology, um, in education, and not just in um, in academic type settings, but also in education um, in the or within an organization, you know, we, it's the often the very first thing to go when our budgets start to get tight. We um, let those educators go, and we've needed them during this pandemic, and and we've needed them during all of the cultural and societal shifts that we have seen to be able to equip that workforce and to equip the leaders. We have an obligation to evolve. And if we don't, we will continue to suffer our patients and our healthcare providers, um, nurses, and everyone within the healthcare industry that's serving within the organizational levels. Well, and I love how you made this point because in innovation, we often talk about the friction, right? The tension that you feel. And it's okay to feel like this is scary and difficult and might even be impossible. What isn't going to be okay is collectively we just dig our heels in and say we don't see why we need to change or we refuse to change. That's going to make this extremely problematic for us um, in the next couple of years as healthcare will change around us and in spite of us. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've also seen that, you know, we have the the healthcare providers have really come together, especially through social media and are talking about innovation and are talking about what's working and what's not and um, are able to communicate about what organizations are being supportive and who's not and who do you want to work for and who do you not want to work for. We're well-connected, we're well-informed and um, it's going to have an impact on the overall industry and those organizations that are that are choosing to dig their heels in. Absolutely. Well, and I love that. And, and I think that that's incredibly insightful. And I think it's great foresight as well as we continue to evolve 
And that's a, a great place for us to put a pin in it for today. I know, Sarah, I could talk to you all day, but I think for purposes of today, that's a great place to, for us to end. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today here on Healthcare Soothsayers podcast. Really appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Bonnie. And uh, I continue to hope that we will um, be that innovative uh, force for the future. So I hope nursing and healthcare providers can certainly come together. So I hope this helps to inform a few more and to maybe enlighten some folks on what's happening at that global level as well. Absolutely. And I'm an optimist, Sarah, and I think we're going to get there. So (laughs) thanks for that. And be sure to check out the show notes for this show to find Sarah's contact info and to learn more about her work. And thanks again for being with us today. Thanks so much for listening to Healthcare Soothsayers. I really do appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share it with your network. That is how we grow and learn. If you have ideas for show topics or guests, please reach out to me directly at ThoughtLeaderRN on Twitter. For information about this show or any of the others in the Touchpoint Media Network, please check them out at touchpoint.health.